What would you do if you were offered a promotion? Would you take it? Would you consider turning it down? Who turns down a promotion anyway? Today, we are going to talk to Ryan Boylston, the founder and CEO of Two Ton, a creative marketing agency. Ryan is a young father married with three children, and he also serves as a city commissioner in Delray Beach, Florida. About 10 years ago, he was killing it as a marketing director for, for some leading auto dealerships in South Florida, including Toyota and Auto Nation. He competed for a promotion, and once he was offered it, he decided he didn't want to do it, and he turned it down. The next day when he showed up for work, he was escorted out of the building and let go. At the time, he and his wife had just bought a home, and they had a one-year-old child. What did he do next? That is part of the story we are going to get into today here on episode 93 of the Agents of Innovation podcast. Hi, I am your host, Francisco Gonzalez, and for the past six years, I have been engaging with entrepreneurs, philanthropists, and artists through these incredible conversations on the Agents of Innovation podcast. This podcast has featured people from a range of professions who live in more than 20 states, and some have even been born in other countries. Speaking of other countries... I am spending most of 2021 living outside the United States, as I live and work from Guatemala City as a visiting professor at the Universidad Francisco Marroquin, where I teach courses on entrepreneurship and innovation. If you are listening now, I encourage you to hit the subscribe button so you can be the first to be informed of new episodes of the Agents of Innovation podcast. And if you are so inspired and want to support the podcast, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash agents of innovation, patreon.com forward slash agents of innovation. You can also find us on many social media platforms and everything can be found on our website at agentsofinnovation.org. At the end of this episode, we are also going to feature a brand new song from Steve Everett, a musician who was raised in North Carolina, who has lived in Nashville, Music City, for quite some time now. Steve was our guest way back on episode two, of the Agents of Innovation podcast. His new album, Little Wins, recently released, and this episode will end with his first track on that album, What's in the Well. You can find his music at steveeverett.net. When I have a guest on this podcast, I don't forget about them. And in the coming weeks, I will be launching a new community called Fearless Journeys, where you can connect with many of the innovators that were first featured on the Agents of Innovation podcast. So stay tuned for that. Well, we are now going to find out what is in the well, or maybe what is in the water that Ryan Boylston has been drinking from, so we can indeed figure out what the heck he did turning down a promotion and how he responded after he was fired for doing so. Okay, well, I want to welcome Ryan Boylston to the Agents of Innovation podcast. Uh, He's coming to us uh, from West Palm Beach, Florida. And uh, Ryan, just thank you for being on the Agents of Innovation podcast. Hey, thank you for having me. Uh, Well, Ryan, um, I know to to introduce you to our audience a little bit more, um, Ryan is the founder and CEO of Two Ton, uh, and that is the number two uh, next to the word ton, two T-O-N. Uh, and um, put together that's two ton. They are a creative <laughs> agency. They help clients increase their awareness and visibility 
via dynamic and creative marketing agencies. Ryan is also the uh, has founded the Delray newspaper, the Boca newspaper, Joust Umbrellas, and The Kitchen. Uh, no vowels. Uh, he, he couldn't buy a vowel on Wheel of Fortune, but like all the other startups out there, KTCHN Kitchen, which is an eight-desk co-working space housed in his office on Atlantic Avenue in Delray Beach, Florida. Uh, and Ryan was born in nearby Pompano Beach and is a second-generation Floridian. Uh, in addition to his day job, or many jobs maybe that he that he holds uh, now. Um, he's also a city commissioner in Delray Beach. And while he's a graduate of the University of Central Florida, he married up and married an FAU owl. Uh, uh, <laughs> his wife, Cassidy, is a graduate of my alma mater, Florida Atlantic University, and did something I think similar to me. I think she started at UCF and finished at FAU. So Ryan, kudos to you for, for getting past the you can't finish. They now have three uh, children. And Ryan is also very involved in uh, his community through a number of philanthropic endeavors. So he really does fit the mold here of um, uh, as an agent of innovation in the entrepreneurial and philanthropic arenas, uh, not to mention the public service. So Ryan, thanks again for, for being with us on the Agents of Innovation podcast. Uh, thank you for having me. That was, uh, that was quite the overview. <laughs> well, we've got a lot to go through here, Ryan. And uh, before we get started, I wanted to uh, also thank a mutual connection of ours, uh, my friend Joe Russo. Uh, Joe was a guest on episode 35 of the Agents of Innovation podcast a few years ago now. He's the founder and president of Palm Beach Tech, which recently rebranded as Tech Hub South Florida. And Ryan, I understand you were one of the uh, founding board members there. Yes, I think I still hold the record as the, as the board member that uh, never actually made a board meeting. But to be, to be uh, transparent about that, when I agreed to join uh, Joe Russo's board for his little, at the beginning, just a little startup, Palm Beach, uh, Palm Beach Tech, I did tell him that I would be his South County representative, uh, which has been great because it really, our relationship grew. He, Joe Russo had an office within our office and then eventually he would take over our co-working space, the kitchen, and turn it into the 1909, which is an offshoot of Palm Beach Tech. So it's been a, it's been a great relationship. I'm very lucky to, uh, to have run into him years ago. So if I'm walking down Atlantic Avenue in, in Delray Beach, is it still branded as the kitchen or is it now 1909? Or both? It w- you know what? It, it, it was the 1909 all the way up uh, into the pandemic. And obviously a lot of co-working spaces were, were hit very hard by that. And I think the 1909 decided at that point to concentrate on their uh, their West Palm Beach headquarters, uh, but hopefully they'll be uh, they'll be back in Delray Beach and other markets throughout South Florida here in the future. Yeah, things are starting to open up and people are starting to get back into offices. Uh, well, there's so much amazing stuff going on in South Florida right now, especially you know the mayor of Miami, Francis Suarez, has been getting a lot of uh, attention for what he's been doing for the tech community which started uh, by him posting a tweet about how can I help, uh, basically, how can I help bring people to South Florida? And, um, and from, from all over the country, they're relocating to Miami, but really the broader South Florida area, which includes West Palm Beach and Delray Beach. I see uh, Mayor Scott Singer and Boca Raton starting to get on the bandwagon there too. So, um, uh, but, but Joe and his organization there, which like I said, was started as Palm Beach Tech, is now Tech Hub South Florida, has really been doing this kind of recruiting for a number of years now. What role... Uh, did, have, did you see Palm Beach Tech or Tech Hub South Florida uh, play in recruiting talent uh, to South Florida? Well, I think P- Palm Beach as a county has such a great brand when it comes to tourism and uh, and comes to vacationing, right? 
but no one was really talking about the innovation and the tech that's happening here and how it is a it's a it's a great space to start a business you know and you mentioned Miami you know th- think of Palm Beach as the boulder to to Denver right we're, we're that to Miami right or, or the a little stretch, but maybe in Austin to a Dallas, uh, um, you know, in Asheville to a Charlotte, you know, that's, that's how I look at Palm Beach County and West Palm Beach and how I'm sure, I'm sure Mayor Singer looks at uh, Boca Raton and, and as a commission, city commissioner, I like to look at Delray Beach is that we're, we're outside that Mecca that is Miami. And we have, well, I think we provide a unique work-life experience for small tech startups. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, well, I mean, I grew up uh, like you, um, Ryan, in South Florida, and um, it's the uh, you know it's it's the envy of the country in many ways. Just you know, we we like you said, people think of the tourist destinations, the beautiful beaches, the great weather, um, you know, maybe the low taxes compared to a lot of uh, other states. But uh, you know, it didn't really ever you know one of the one of the weaknesses of it in the past in this arena was. It didn't have like the Silicon Valley, the strength of like a Silicon Valley, which is such just a concentration of talent, especially in the tech arena for, for so long. But but now I think we're seeing something different and we're seeing we're first of all, um, maybe you can shed some light on this. But I've heard others talk about we're seeing the breakup in some ways of that and, and especially covid with the remote work life really accelerated the fact that people can work from almost anywhere. Well, that's huge, right? That's been a, a big component. But when I look at it, you know, um, kind of the old model was big tech spins off little tech, right? So you had that tech hub and you had the bigger names back, you know, whether it was AOL or Google or Facebook or, right? And they spin off all these other smaller tech. But as, as every industry became, uh, you know, tech-based, then that started to break down those walls, Right. So then rather than starting a, a tech company that delivers food in a place where there's more tech companies, you're seeing that tech company open where there's a uh, an incredible amount of um, of of restaurants. Right. The culinary side. Right. Deli- and, and the example I'm using is Delivery Dudes, which I think was just acquired for about twenty three or twenty four million dollars. And it was started right in Delray Beach. Um, they deliver food and they do that very well. But at the core of what they are, they're a tech company, right? So we've right. seen a lot of industries turn more towards tech and therefore it kind of opened up the window of, of where those companies, those startups could be uh, not only invested in, uh, incubated, accelerated, uh, and then obviously succeed and grow. Well, it's funny you mentioned Delivery Dudes. Uh, we had on episode 27, uh, the owner of a franchise of Delivery Dudes, Evan Marcus, and I just actually caught up with Evan a week ago. I hadn't talked to him in, you know, quite some time. And uh, but he was telling me a little bit, you know, he actually had a franchise in Miami um, and um, they they sold it. Uh, he gave me all the reasons. And I hope to have Evan maybe back or in some future forum um, where we can we can discuss uh, why he sold it. But I, I said, boy, because uh, he sold it. I think it goes back now about 2017 or so when he sold it, 2017, 2018. Mm-hmm. But I thought, man, I wasn't last year like the greatest year for, <laughs> for, for <laughs> what that would have been. But like you mentioned, uh, but, you know, he also had a lot of competition from other bigger names like Uber and, yeah. and Amazon and other things like that. So so anyway, but but you're right. I mean, there are a lot of great startups happening even right here in South Florida that maybe some people aren't aren't aware of. Um, well, uh, 
Ryan, uh, speaking of, of your story a little bit more, um, I want to get into that. And so uh, there's a lot to talk to you about. And what I really, you know, what a lot of people who probably listen to this podcast know is I really try to uh, take uh, you and uh, the listener through your personal and professional journey so we can learn about, about that. And so uh, to start that, one thing I've, I like to ask a lot of people is, what was your first job? Uh, like your first job in life, like the, it could be anything. And, and what maybe did you learn from it that maybe kind of has stuck with you today? Well, aside from, um, you know, little jobs around the, around the neighborhood or for, for families and things like that, my first official job was, uh, was Walmart. I, uh, I actually walked into Walmart when I was 15 years old and they said, uh, sorry, we only hire, you know, 16, you know, 16 is when we start. And I said, I know I want to fill out my resume early so that on my 16th birthday, we can just move right to the interview, uh, which uh, basically landed me the job on the spot. <laughs> because I was really, I was really excited to go work for, uh, work for that brand. It was right down the street. So I walked to it, didn't have a car yet, need the job before you could get the car. Uh, and, uh, and I learned a lot. I learned a lot of that, uh, work, working for Walmart. And for me, they gave me a lot of opportunities, um, as a young individual in, uh, in high school, they, you know, um, put a lot of, of trust in me to learn everything that you could do at Walmart. So yeah, I started bringing in the carts, right. But eventually was trained in, you know, at the, at the cashier and then was trained to mix paint back when Walmart still did that. I don't know if they do anymore um, to make keys, you know, at the, at the, at the counter um, and to, to cut fabric in the, in the uh, fabric and crafts area. Uh, and then eventually moving into some like assistant manager type uh, type roles, all uh, 17 years old, you know, 18 years old, all in a, in a uh, short amount of time. So I just thought that was neat the way Walmart invested in me. And uh, and I thought it was really fascinating that I got Walmart shares, that they thought uh, that I deserve shares. And every month they would sit down and they would say where we're ranking in comparison to other Walmarts in the area and really give us an inside look on how our store is doing, how our company is doing, how our stock's doing. And I just thought that was really fascinating that they would even take the time to do that with a 16-year-old kid um, and obviously in all the employees at that Walmart. So I learned, I learned a, a lot from my first job. Yeah, that's great. And um, I mean, the way that a company like that's able to take care of our employees, invest in them, and maybe for the long term. And whether you stay there or not, it's great. I mean, it's great for the workforce that you know we were able to get Ryan Boylston, the entrepreneur uh, that came out of all this. Well, Ryan, uh, you so you you work at Walmart. Um, you're I, uh, this is in uh, I assume Pompano Beach, in in that area. The, the, at that point, I was in Boca. 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 Okay, so Boca. Well, gosh, Boca's got to have a nice Walmart, right? Everything in Boca is <laughs> so nice. Uh, well, um, you went. You then went on to uh, to UCF, and um, what did you study there? And um, and tell us a little bit about then what your your steps after graduation were. Sure, I, I went to the University of Central Florida because at the time it was the hot spot for uh, for video production. Uh, mm -hmm. They had just uh, a few graduates from UCF uh, had just come up with the Blair Witch Project, which like, you know, took the country by storm. And, uh, and that's what I was really passionate about. Once I got, once I got there, uh, I decided that probably a marketing degree made more sense for me uh, so that I could still be involved in video production, but I could also be involved in, uh, in, in design and, uh, and other aspects of, uh, of, of design and production. So 
that's what I, uh, that is what I went to school for. And I have a minor in mass communications um, from UCF. Yeah, you know, I was at UCF, I think a couple years before you, I didn't finish there. As I mentioned, I lived up to the UCF, you can't finish. And I know you, you, you also uh, experienced the, the under construction forever uh, part of the acronym, but uh, I remember very much so. I remember uh, surface parking lots well before there were parking garages and uh, driving uh, on through many of these dirt parking lots, not even be able to find a single spot. <laughs> there was just, uh, and it, it was, it, it, we were part of that, um, gr- that really crazy growth period for UCF. Now it's um, one of the top two or three largest schools in the entire country. Um, I think maybe, maybe while I was there, but, but I think he graduated before, before I would have is a uh, Daniel Tosh, right. A uh, comedian. And yes. uh, I remember, I remember UCF actually having these little like um, concerts. Well, I was actually on a concert committee, but also they would have these these comedy uh, nights or whatever. And I thought, man, I might have missed Daniel Tosh. You know, I probably probably (laughs) probably was there at the same time. But UCF does have some some unique uh, graduates as well. (laughs) Yeah, well, when I was there, I was actually on CAB, which is the Campus Activity Board. Uh, So I was also involved in a lot of those activities, bringing in the the different musicians and the different comedians uh, for homecoming weekend and things like that. So uh, when did you, when did you arrive? When did you arrive at UCF? I arrived in 01. Okay. I mean, I was on cab uh, between 96 and 97. All right. uh, Yeah. It was right before me. Yeah. It was a, that was a really, that was one of the most fun experiences. And um, it was, it was almost eye opening to me that a college student, 18, 19 years old could be part of bringing major acts. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm a big Johnny Lang fan and we actually had Johnny Lang open up for blues traveler and a lot of other just great brand Dishwalla at the time came stain, like all these, all these cool bands, uh, <laughs> the refreshments. I mean, it was just, it was fun. I was like, well, I got to meet these guys and like hang out backstage. And anyway, I guess in some ways, maybe, uh, that was part of my evolution of, of being involved in some live events and things like that. Well, that was that. I mean, so UCF's a really cool place, um, and I know you did a lot of great stuff. What, so, what were your um, what, what were your next steps from there in terms of your career after after getting that diploma? Yeah, well, I really took a competitive approach to uh, the intern the internship game at UCF. You know, there was a few internships that were the top ones to get, and I felt that I wanted to uh, to get every one of them. And uh, luckily, I actually did. So um, Hughes Supply, which is, I think, today's HD Supply, and it's owned by Home Depot. And that was one of the, one of the top internships. Um, so I was able to, uh, to get that. And then I got the Anheuser-Busch Amusement Park internship, which that one was really exciting because, one, it paid. So that was a big deal. Um, and, two, you got to drive around the Shamu-Mobile, which was a little <laughs> VW bug that they had put a tail on and, a, and fins on and actually shot water out of the top. So it was kind of fun to, to drive that around for, uh, for SeaWorld in, in, in Orlando. Um, but, then, uh, but then after that, um, I utilized those internships to land a position with JM Family Enterprises in, uh, in Deerfield Beach. Yeah, well, that's a, tell us a little bit uh, for the audience that's not familiar about JM Family Enterprises and then maybe a little bit about what you did for them. Sure, sure. Well, I can go on forever because my, my <laughs> mom has actually worked for that company for 35 years. Uh, and uh, I knew Mr. Moran growing up and he's a pretty incredible human being. He was the first person to ever sell a car on television. He was uh, Jim Moran, the courtesy man. 
is what they used to call him up in Chicago. And he retired from selling Pontiacs and other brands and retired down to Florida. And Toyota came to him and said, hey, will you sell this car in the United States? And uh, long story short, he said yes. And he really grew a uh, automotive empire, which uh, the Umbrella Corporation, JM Family Enterprises, a lot of different brands underneath that umbrella. Uh, and one of the big things that I took away from him, he's always referred to his team as associates. He does not use the word employee. He has never used that word. He's always used the word associates. It's the same, same word that I use today with my team members. Um, and uh, it's one of the top companies to work for in the United States. Uh, every single year after year, they're in the top five, top, top 10 companies. And I took a lot away from not only growing up in that company with my mother working there, but also my time that I got to spend uh, there at Jane Family Enterprises. Well, that's uh, that's really fantastic, and um, you know, I love I love that uh, the fact that he treats and the way you do it now to your team. You know, people is just members of the team and uh, not not necessarily employees. And we've heard that a few times from some really uh, successful entrepreneurs, and I think that's something people should really pay attention to as they're building businesses and how. Um, you know, how other members of the team are valued as much as anyone else, including the CEO. Yeah. And not only building your team and your businesses, one of the areas that I've, I've struggled to change that culture is as, as a city commissioner in government, the word staff is thrown around a lot. I mean, that's a really tough word to remove from your culture at city hall, the word staff uh, and replace it with, you know, associates or team members, um, et cetera. Um, so it's not just in, in, in business, but it's also in other areas that we might be operating um, to, to, to leverage different, you know, different words for those positions for those team members. Yeah. So Ryan, tell me a little bit about, uh, so you, what was the next steps after JM Family Enterprises? So what I ended up doing at JM Family Enterprises is climbing a corporate ladder that I don't know I really wanted to climb so early on. So I, I, it was great. I was successful. They gave me a great promotion. They moved me to South Carolina. Um, and, uh, not exactly what I was looking for. Uh, so I ended up, I ended up leaving to move back to Florida. My wife and I were going to have our first child and I started working for auto nation. Uh, auto nation is headquartered in, in Fort Lauderdale. And, uh, and what I found myself doing was climbing the same corporate ladder again. And, uh, and so I was offered a promotion. I declined that promotion because I said, here I go, here I am, I'm doing it again, right? I'm climbing this ladder that I don't really want to be at the top of. Um, I'm going to, you know, sit in my current position and continue to grow my consulting business. And, uh, in AutoNation actually walked me out of the building the day after I turned down the promotion. Wow. Apparently, apparently not something you do at AutoNation. Um, and that's So let okay. me ask you, so oh, go ahead. No, just that was okay. That was fine. Well, let me <laughs> ask you something because I feel like maybe myself or other people listening are, are thinking, um, you've done a great job. Your 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 work was recognized, and you were offered promotions. And um, why not climb the corporate ladder? What did you have against that? What was your thinking in, in terms of uh, not climbing that? I assume that that might have even come with with uh -huh. with a better paycheck too. Sure. So. Um, well, if it would have been a way better paycheck, maybe <laughs> I could have, <laughs> may have kind of hung in there, but, uh, no, that's a great question. Um, although I was passionate about the auto industry, I wasn't really passionate about the dealer side. 
So at Jane Family Enterprises, my job was to go and live inside a dealership and identify disconnects in marketing and process and train their sales team. Um, my job at AutoNation was to rethink how they buy and sell, use and pre-owned vehicles. So most of my time in the auto industry was at the dealership level. And it was something that I, 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 was not, I wasn't passionate about. Had I gotten that same opportunity, that same ladder handed to me at the manufacturer side, like at Toyota Motor Sales in Torrance, California, I think I'd probably still be in the auto industry today. I would have been able to move into areas of the auto industry that I'm really passionate about, such as marketing. Um, and, you know, and digital strategy, um, but I wasn't getting, given that opportunity in some of those organizations that are more tied to the dealership level. So you work at JM Family Enterprises and you mentioned, I think, Toyota and AutoNation, right? Correct. And then you're walked out of AutoNation. Like this was, was this the day after you declined? This was the, the day, this was the day after, yeah. Yeah. So I, I just, God, I'd love to be a fly in the room of the uh, the, the managers there and we gave this guy a promotion. We think he's great. He didn't want it. Get him out of here. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, to, to, in, 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 all, in all fairness, it was a position that I had to interview for. I beat out a lot of different candidates. A lot of time was invested. Right. And mm. then I win. They offer me the position. And I guess it was taken uh, kind of negatively that I that I turned that I turned down the, the position that I had. I had won. Yeah. So, OK, so you're so you're walked out of there. What do you do next? And I assume at this point you're married. Do you have any kids? I am married. I'm in my first house and, uh, and have my, my maybe one-year-old son at home. So yeah, you got a mortgage. You got a, you got a one-year-old. And my wife's, uh, and my wife's a teacher, by the way. So. Oh, great. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, so, so yeah. So what, so what, what's next? What are you thinking and what do you, and what do you do? So you immediately start thinking, you know, we gotta, we gotta pay the bills right? I mean, that's what you got to do. So I mentioned that I was doing some consulting on the side. What I found was a lot of what I learned with JM Family Enterprises about identifying disconnects with dealerships, um, that I could use those same, those same tools, uh, those same skills uh, for small and medium-sized businesses. Uh, so I was consulting on the side. So on that drive home, I immediately got on the phone and started calling all of my clients and, uh, and told them, hey, you wanted more of my time, you got it. Remember that introduction that you wanted to make, but I you know, wasn't in a place to take that introduction? Well, now I'm open for it. Can we meet tomorrow? Can I take you out for lunch? Uh, and that's what I did. I made phone calls all the, way, all the way home. And then the next day I got up like any other normal day. And instead of getting on the tri-rail to Fort Lauderdale to go to work at AutoNation, I, uh, I got up and went to, a, went to a coffee shop or went to the library and rented out a little room and just, you know, grinded it out and tried to start my, my consulting firm. Is this the, uh, the famous uh, library uh, that Joe Russo asked me to <laughs> ask you about? Because he said, ask this guy about the library. So what are you talking about? Oh, yes. Yes. So I may have, I have, may have adjusted that story a little bit. On day one, I went to the library, except the library doesn't open till nine. And I got there at about 7.30. So I then had to walk to the coffee shop where I worked until the library opened. Uh, and, uh, and then what I did is I actually rented, I guess, what you would call my first office, which was the quiet room 203 uh, by the hour. So every hour I had to walk out, uh, go up to the front counter. Is there anybody waiting for the room? No. Okay. Well, I'll rent it another hour then. Uh, and I'll go back into the room. Every hour I had to check. And once in a while I would come out and someone would be waiting for the room. 
I'd be a college student or, you know, a senior citizen from Delray Beach doing a little class or something. And so then I'd be out of the room for an hour and then I would go back in. That was my, that was my first office. The, the public library, the quiet the public, room. the Delray Beach public library. That's it. Well, look, uh, for those, uh, you know, we're going to put some video clips from this interview on uh, the Agents of Innovation YouTube channel. Uh, but we put the full audio and I, I assume that uh, I assume that most people are just going <laughs> to listen to the audio because that's what podcast people tend to like to do. But for those that might be watching, if we even put this portion of it on the uh, video, I'm actually sitting here <laughs> at the <laughs> University Friends, uh, University of Francisco American in, in Guatemala City. And I'm doing something similar, actually. I've got a reserved room um, here. It's quiet. The reason I picked this room now I'm teaching on this campus. Um, and so they, they've offered me some different amenities, including be, being able to reserve rooms. So it's good. But I think you're right. I mean, finding, um, finding loopholes, I guess you could say, finding niches, finding ways to keep costs low. Um, I want to ask you, though, but I don't want to race super forward in your story, but I know you, you've had this, uh, I think it's an eight, eight desk working space in your, um, uh, you know, uh, the, in, at the kitchen, right? That you started mm -hmm. the kitchen. Is there any thought? I mean, did you have any correlation on, on uh, maybe this is why you started the kitchen to help other entrepreneurs that need a workspace? I mean, obviously, they've got to pay something for it. But... Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly why. Uh, you know, when I'm telling this story, this story was 10 years ago. Co-working wasn't even a term, you know, <laughs> let alone available to me. Um, and so when I eventually got to the point where we had a big enough office, where we had additional space, um, at that point, co-working was a term, but it wasn't something that had made its way to Delray Beach yet. So we decided to take a portion of our office and instead of buying a ping pong table you know, or two, we, uh, we put eight desks in and we opened it up to any, any business. And I think out of the gate, we were charging $100 a month, $100 a month. It was, and it was, you had to put an application and it was about getting the right eight people that could you know, kind of have a synergistic you know, little mini culture at what we called the kitchen um, on, on the uh, on the other side of our office. And it was uh, it was very successful. And I met a lot of incredible, incredible people that came through and utilized those utilized those desks. And like I said, it eventually was handed over to Palm Beach Tech in the 1909. Yeah, you know, that's one of the uh, advantages, right? If you if someone uh, who's an entrepreneur, or, or somebody just wants to be around entrepreneurs, right? I mean, it's, it's a great place to have a desk at, right? Because you could just meet people doing all sorts of things. Also, and you just, it's that creative collaborative experience. Um, and who knows things, I think probably magic probably happens in those places, uh, unintended magic in a sense where people say, oh, you're doing that. I, I know someone who's doing this. Oh, I'm doing that. You know, maybe we can collaborate on something, right? Or maybe we can leverage each other's strengths towards some project that we're working on. So I think th those places are great for that as well. Well, and that's what we thought is that we already had such a great culture at our company uh, that it could actually be an offshoot of that culture, right? The, the, the shared spaces between the co-working side and, and our company side, um, would that, be, that would be an opportunity for some of those worlds to come together and collide. Yeah. So, um, so I know that you were in a position where you were basically in some ways forced uh, to start your own venture. Um, but for somebody who might be listening and maybe what did you learn from that experience that would maybe somebody who's listening, who maybe wants to leave, they don't want to climb the corporate ladder like you did. They want to, there may be something they're not passionate about. It's a great paycheck. It's a fine job, 
but maybe they're looking to start something. And what would be the process for them uh, in terms of, of going out and doing that on their own? Well, I think don't be afraid to make the sacrifice, right? That was something I was, you know, somewhat afraid to do in, in leaving my job, but obviously not too afraid to, you know, to decline a, a promotion, right? And to stay in a position that allowed me to have this side consulting firm that I was slowly growing until I could leave, right? Um, so be willing to take that sacrifice, even if it means you have to move back in with your parents for a year, right? Or you have to downsize or whatever, whatever it is. Or you got to move to Guatemala. Or you got to move to Guatemala. Right, right. (laughs) One of the, one of the things I did early on when I had one of my first startups uh, that ended up not being successful, um, but was I, you know, I sold, I had a car and I sold a car and I went and bought, it was a Nissan Sentra, like a 90 something Nissan Sentra for like a thousand bucks that my buddy's mom was selling, right? So I had a car, sold that, and was driving that Nissan Sentra back and forth to work. And that's how I got my first uh, funding for my startup was sell, you know, selling that car, but I had to sacrifice, right? So be willing, be willing to sacrifice um, because it's most likely going to be short-term, right? It's most likely going to be short-term. And uh, in the long-term, it'll be the, probably the best decision you ever made. Now... Like I said, my first sacrifice did not work out, right? I drove that Nissan for a few years and, uh, and funding that startup didn't actually work, work out, but I learned a ton. And the next time I had an opportunity to sacrifice and start my own thing, I really, I, I really had a lot of lessons that I had learned uh, to put towards the success of my second venture. Yeah, I think that idea of sacrifice is, uh, is so key. I was just talking to somebody about this yesterday because uh, I think it was episode 86 I had a gentleman named Sam Sohail on this uh, podcast, and um, Sam came from Morocco, uh, now owns two cigar lounges in Asheville, North Carolina, and Hendersonville, North Carolina, as well as a smoke shop, but uh, came with $300 uh, from Morocco. His family wasn't poor. There was, he had, a, I think his dad was, I think, a doctor, and, and his mom was a teacher. Oh, no, his dad was a banker, and his mother was a, like a nurse or something. So, you know, middle class, maybe even upper middle class family. But they just said, hey, we're just sending you $300. Like, good luck. And um, he, three, four years of his life, he said he worked every single day of the year except Thanksgiving, uh, seven days a week, 12-hour days. Uh, for about four or five months, uh, he was homeless and had to sleep under a bridge. I mean, this he didn't know the language, right? He knew a few languages, but not English right away. And now he, now he does. But I interviewed him back in November, had met him originally back in August. And I remember just coming away from both of those conversations with him, um, just blown away by the sacrifice. And in some ways I was telling somebody yesterday, I said, you know, I think, uh, a few days after I got back from North Carolina, uh, is when I made the decision that I was going to start the business. I'm in the process of starting now. I said, you know what? I don't, I don't know if I consciously thought this at the moment, but I think listening to all these entrepreneurs, people like yourself for six years, and then having Sam put this like, huge um huge part of the part of the conversation on sacrifice um and just being like well my sacrifice ain't anywhere near what that guy's sacrifice you know if, if i leave my job and i have to forget a few things that's not even close so what am i am i do I, am i really willing to do this do i really believe in it enough and um and and, and yeah like at the end of the day like if it's not if i'm not successful like okay i've got other things going for me too it's not like it's the end of the world so 
So I think people have to kind of take those things into into account and, and see, you know, there's a lot of factors in, in life and, and things like that. But but I think what you you know did is you buckled down and um, and you did it. And I want to hear now <laughs> the next steps because um, what you you know what was it like to go from just I mean you're starting your job you're working out of the library uh, when do, when do you kind of get those next real leaps that maybe um, like first of all how many hours a week were you working at that point and then how much later was it that you were able to maybe say have a, uh, a an office space and and a, maybe your first employee yeah um I had a friend uh, who started a, uh, a company a few years after me and he asked me, how do you, without taking on investors or anything like that, like how do you, or taking on a loan, how do you hire that first employee? How'd you do that? And I said, well, I worked 80 hours, right? I got to the point where I had enough work to fill 80 hours of my time. I get up every morning. I'd work for about eight to 10 hours. I'd come home. I'd eat dinner with my family. I'd put my son to bed. And then I'd work another five hours, right? And uh, go to bed sometime, you know, two in the morning, get up, do it again. That was almost two years. It was almost two years of that. Um, it, felt, it felt like it was probably closer to a year, but it felt like two years. Um, but once you have, you're getting paid for 80 hours, you have the opportunity to bring someone on, right? And then my friend at this time, he asked me, oh, so you bring that other person on, that person works 40 and then you work 40. And I go, no that person works 40 and then you get to drop down to 70, right? But then you hire another person and maybe you get to 60 and then 50 and then it never goes lower than that. <laughs> at least I don't think, at least I don't think it does. Um, but uh, that was, that was the biggest thing is hiring that first person because the first hire is, is one of the, one of the toughest. Um, and why it's so important to get involved with either co-working spaces or in individuals like Joe Russo and Palm Beach Tech, because when you are ready to make that first hire, second hire, um, it's so important that it's the right people, right? And it's so, great if yeah. you have those people lined up and you're not just, you know, putting out a, you know, a, 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 a employees wanted, you know, out there in the universe. Instead, you really know you're surrounded by really great team members that you want to bring on. Okay. So this is two ton, right? This is the beginning of two ton. This is, but 10 years ago, we were actually called Futuristic Woo. Um, and uh, we've gone through, we went through a rebranding a few years ago when we went through a merger acquisition. So, but at that time we were Futuristic Woo. Well, I like two ton a lot better, except when I have to say it on a podcast. <laughs> so I have to make sure people understand it's two T-O-N, um, one word kind of thing. Slightly one word with shorter. a number. Yeah. yeah. But it's, but it's great. Um, and so, uh, Tell us a little bit too the the other various points in the growth, and tell us what exactly uh, you do today, um, and all what your team does to help to help your yeah. clients. So we couldn't we couldn't stay in the library forever, right? Eventually mm -hmm. had to to get our own office space, and we've had several offices as we've uh, continued to grow, and uh, and now we are in uh, headquartered in West Palm Beach, um, and we're in the warehouse district where I think we'll 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 stay. Finally, uh, this is our, our permanent home. So uh, over the years, we just continued to bring additional services in-house. Uh, I originally started as a consulting firm, identifying disconnects in our clients' marketing. Um, but then I had a really hard time finding a website partner, a design partner, a photography partner. Um, so little by little, we brought those services in-house. 
Uh, today, we are a full-service creative agency. We handle our clients' brands and every extension of their brand. We don't just make pretty things. We put strategy together with those pretty things. So we have just as many, if not more, strategists and consultants uh, and than we have designers or developers. And, and you're... I think talking to you earlier, your most of your um, thought process is to have everybody, as many people in house as possible. Because I know there's a lot of firms that do a lot of contracting or freelancers. Like, yeah. how does how? What is your philosophy on that? So it's one of the core principles of Teton is that we do not use contractors. We do not outsource. Period. Everyone is a full time associate of Teton. We don't even have a team member that's paid hourly. Everyone is a salaried, full benefit associated to Tuton. That's why they're really bought into not only our company, but our clients' companies, right? We're there to serve, we're there to serve them. And in addition to that, there are two positions that we don't really believe in at Tuton. One of them is uh, the sales rep position. So if you reach out to Tuton and, uh, and want to talk to us about services, you're going to be on the phone with me or you're going to be on Zoom with me. Uh, and if you're not on the phone with me, you're going to be on the phone with our creative director or our COO. Um, that's really important that our relationships start at that level. And secondly, we don't believe in account reps or the key holders, right? We want our clients and our clients want to actually talk to the people that are designing and developing uh, and, and writing or strategizing for their company. Um, so we actually have project managers and consultants, you know, on staff and uh, there is no, there is no key holder. Yeah, that's good. Um, and speaking of the warehouse district, I love that area. It's really grown over the last number of years. Uh, again, uh, it was probably over three years ago now. On episode thirty-four, we had Dan, Danny, and Danielle who started nineteen. I'm sorry, not nineteen oh nine. That one of them actually is involved in nineteen oh nine now. But they started Elizabeth Avenue Station, which was a kind of a, a creative space for for uh, sort of more people in the arts and things like that. I don't know if that's still uh, going there. I think maybe they've had some different iterations of that. Um, but that, but but regardless, it's a great area down there, the warehouse district, West Palm Beach. I mean, as we mentioned at the top of this, so many areas of my, of South Florida are exploding. You know, Atlantic Avenue, where you're at, uh, West Palm Beach, uh, and you know, we we talked about Miami and uh, and so many areas. Um, speaking of of that, let me take a little aside. Uh, uh, well, let's you know we'll we'll get into this in a minute. Actually, I want to I want to go back to that in a minute. But let's 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 focus first on 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 the on your um, business a little bit more. You now have twenty two uh, on your team. Is that right? Correct. Yeah, and um, and so uh, by the way, also speaking of your team, I have to uh, tell everybody that they need to go to your website two ton dot com and go to the meet the team page. This has got to be the most creative meet the team page of any company I've seen because I went there to prepare for this interview. Uh, and I, I got your biography on, in other areas on the web uh, just to make sure I was not missing anything. But your full biography like written out is not on your meet the team page. Instead, uh, can you explain to the audience what they are seeing when they come to the meet the team page and why you chose to go this route? Yeah, I have to give full credit to uh, to my team on that because I, I, I came with an idea and I said, I, I want our team page to have static photos, but when you roll over them or when you scroll by them, I want them to come alive. And they said, oh, well, great. Well, so we'll do a video and you'll hit, you hit play and you get this. No, I don't, don't want to hit play. Oh, we'll do GIFs. No, I don't want them to be GIFs. 
I want the photo actually come alive. And they're like, great, where have you seen this? Where have you seen this, Ryan? So we can go look at it. And I go, I've never seen it. I've, I've never seen it, but this is, this is what I want. Can you guys figure it out? And within a day or two, they figured it out, right? And so if you go on to twoton.com slash team, check out our team, you actually get to see all our photos come alive. And when they do, you get a real opportunity to get to know us, right? Just a little bit, uh, you know, about each, uh, each individual. So for you, if I remember, I'm not even on the page because this is a visual implanted in my mind now. Um, so like you said, like you explained, if somebody just comes to the page and it loads and they don't do anything, they don't touch the page, it just looks like a static photo like you would normally see. Mm-hmm. But as soon as you start to move the page or come over, scroll over the person's photo, um, the photo looks like it becomes a video, right? And right. And it kind of does, I guess. I don't know what that, that but you, but what you do in your video is, you know, you're, you're wearing your tie or whatever you're wearing, your nice professional clothes and you go down and you come up and you've got your three kids on your shoulders, which is really cool. And you're like dad. Right. And so there was nothing else I needed to know about you and your bio. What you were trying to I think show the world is my most important important thing about me to know is I'm a dad to these three kids. And, uh, and then, you know, you, re- I don't know what the signification of some of the other people where I saw there was a woman on your team that had a, had a, she was doing something fun with a chessboard. Maybe she's a strategist. I don't know. You yeah. know? So, so, uh, so I think there was a lot of, um, a lot of interesting, cool things that people were doing. Um, and again, it was just so creative and it just showed personality. And obviously you're a creative marketing agency, right? So like, if we're going to get a bunch of creatives together to do something creative, I mean, it's a, it's it's a it's an organization, a company like yours. Um, but I think a lot of people um, can learn from this to show their uh, you know their clients or customers, you know, uh, what you know a, a little bit more of their personality to get to know the team. And this is like I feel like if uh, you know if I see this and I'm thinking about working with an organization like yours, uh, I'm 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 almost sold just by this team page. <laughs> Yeah. And we get that a lot. A lot of people call us just because that team page and, you know, and we all have our own reasons for what we do in those very, very short videos, right? There's no audio or anything. It's just a real short video for me, you know, in, uh, in Palm beach County, I'm probably seen more in that suit because of my position as a city commissioner. Um, so I really wanted to show the other side of me. So yes, you might be used to seeing Ryan Wilson in that suit, but then I pop back, with a, you know, with a hat on and a two-ton shirt on and my, and my three kids, right? Because that's more of my life is being a, a husband and a father and the head of two-ton than being a city commissioner, but not everyone knows that. <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of city commissioner, let's ask about that. Uh, you're uh, obviously in, in, a, in a business role, uh, an entrepreneur, uh, like you said, uh, a few years back, maybe you were working 80 hours a week doing that and, 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 found all these great people to hire and expand your team and expand your business. And maybe you're working 50 hours a week now um, and doing a lot of other, you know, having a lot of responsibilities. And so what prompted your run for Delray Beach City Commission? Um, and, and what, and, and yeah, sort of tell me a little bit about why you decided to do that. Yeah, you know, it wasn't something that happened overnight. Um, I'm not really, I didn't grow up in a political household. I'm not necessarily a very political person, or at least I wasn't. Um, but I am about giving back. And one of the things I learned when we moved to Delray Beach, decided to raise a family there, is that people give back. Um, there's a lot of boards from art boards, 
to pineapple grove boards, to planning and zoning boards, and people donate their time to sit on these boards to make sure that the city heads in the right direction, right? That everybody wants. And I figured if I'm gonna live here, then I'm gonna sit on, I'm gonna sit on a board. Well, the easiest boards to sit on are the ones where all you do is raise your hand and you're on the board. <laughs> so I started at one of those boards, Pineapple Grove Arts Board, literally, who wants to be on the board? All right, there you go. Ryan, you're on the board. And then eventually move to boards that you have to be appointed to by a city commissioner. Um, and then eventually there are boards that you have to be elected to. Um, so over about almost a 10 year period um, of me jumping from board to board and being asked to sit on different steering committees and bringing a, I think a unique perspective to a lot of these boards um, as, a, as an entrepreneur, as a young you know, family, young father, husband, um, and then eventually I decided to run for city commission. That was over three years ago. I just finished my first term in March and I was, uh, reelected, uh, handedly, um, this past March. So, well, congratulations, Ryan. And, uh, tell us a little bit. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, I think it came, came, came out a little bit with, with your, um, description there, but seems like you really care about the community. Uh, if you go and, and you know, I know you've, you mentioned being on a bunch of boards some philanthropic war, boards, some that are maybe mm -hmm. more, a little more public service type boards. Um, and you live in Delray beach and, and, um, just tell me what, like, what, like, what is it about and what, what is the role maybe that business people can play like entrepreneurs like yourself who are super busy and, and maybe mm -hmm. think this is, this is my, this is my service, my job, right? Yeah. Um, or maybe, or maybe a charity I'm involved in stuff, but you know, what, what, why should people be involved in, um, uh, sort of civic organizations in their community yes. and or public service? It's such a, it's such a great question. So first of all, at the local level and why I like local politics is they impact, they impact the life around us, the businesses around us way more than the politics at many, many levels above us. I mean, it's, it's actually really surprising how much a city commissioner, who, by the way, is a part-time CEO at a marketing company or a part-time realtor or part-time lawyer, right? Because this isn't a full-time job, um, but they're up there. They're making decisions that affect you and your business and your employees and your, and your kids. Um, so, so one, understanding that whole ecosystem is really, really important at the local level. And the fact that local leaders can sit in those seats without having to go through the rigmarole of, uh, of um, you know, partisan politics or anything like that, right? That that is very interesting, you know, to me. And then as far as bringing a business element, it's listen. If you can bring a viewpoint that um, is present, it's now. I'm in the business community now, and you know, I'm I'm a father of three children that are in our public school system now. Um, because a lot of times people run for these positions once they retire, right? Mm -hmm. Once they have the time to do it and which is great. And they come with a lot of experience. However, they might not be actually living that aspect of your city at that time, right? Where I am, I very much am. Um, so that's why those are, those are two reasons why I think it's very, very important to, to, to get involved yeah. And you know, you, one of the things you mentioned there, I think is interesting because we get our attention is so focused on things at the national level. I mean, obviously, right. I feel like the last few presidential races, particularly, I, I think every point in my life, it just got more important. The most important election of our lifetime is just going to change everything, you know, right. Whoever you vote for, which side, but people forget the local level, like you said, is where so much happens. I think a little bit of this 
um, is probably due to, you know, we have a 24 seven cable news, national media that seems that's mostly based in DC and New York, right? Like a very East coast, um, uh, bias, I guess you could say, but the, um, the local level is where people kind of forget to pay attention. And one of the things I've noticed with you as well, uh, we've mentioned this at the top briefly, you were part of starting two local newspapers, one in Delray Beach and one in Boca uh, some years ago. And tell me, I, I think you, you, those were sort of some side projects. When did you do that? Uh, why did you do that? And tell me about the experience there. Yeah, so around the time that I started uh, my, my consulting agency, um, I had a friend that walked into my office and said, hey, do you want to start a newspaper? And I said, no, <laughs> why, why would I start a newspaper? And at that time was 2011. And, um, but after learning a little bit more about the power of local newspapers, and actually at the time, Warren Buffett was uh, buying up local newspapers, weeklies, they're, they're called, um, and the power of, of having that you know, that local reporting that isn't affected by viewers, viewers or clicks. Mm-hmm, right. um, and so uh, 30 days later, we came out with our first paper. And honestly, it was more of a leaflet because I think it was eight pages. Um, so I, I, was a, uh, I was a founder and a Delray and then eventually the Boca newspaper. And I owned that for, I don't know, probably like five or six years. And I eventually, I eventually sold my, my shares in it. Um, it's not, it was definitely not a business that you get into to make a lot of money, but it is one that is very rewarding. And I learned a lot being part of a local newspaper and, uh, and wouldn't trade it for, for anything. So it was, it was, it was a, I'm glad I changed my mind. Yeah. Well, you know, and I, I've seen, so first of all, we've seen a trend of a lot of local or even statewide or regional newspapers just dying over the years. Right. And part of that, there's a lot of reasons, right? But um, you kind of mentioned something, you know, as we're moving into this digital space and everything and, and how we, you know, clicks and viewership and even the news media has become so entertainment driven. You know, I mean, you, you need people to keep watching Fox News or MSNBC or CNN because uh, and then you're, what are we going to get the most eyeballs so that we can get the most advertisers, mm-hmm. right? And all these sorts of things. And, and that's a very high level. Um, but of course, you've got, you know, larger newspapers and, and things like that. But uh, but the attention to the local and what is needed at the local level is important. But uh, did you were, was it profitable? I mean, I know it's not like a profitable business that you're you know uh, making tons of money on. But I mean, was it was it kind of worth the time, uh, or, or is there a reason why those things are dying that it's just not profitable? Yeah, it was it was very difficult. I mean, our, our goal was, was basically to break even every month. If we were putting out a um, publication that we thought was important, right, and it had a really great mission behind it, and our, you know, our few salespeople and our editor were both, uh, both had jobs and were feeding their families, we were pretty happy. So as owners, there really wasn't an opportunity for us to, for us to make you know, any, any money. It really wasn't. It really wasn't an opportunity for that unless we put the time in ourselves, right? Unless we were the ones writing and putting the paper together, then there was an opportunity, which that was more early on. So um, it's challenging. And you can see why there is that disconnect with um, with our local news and national news. And they are chasing, they're chasing clicks. 
the Chase and viewers are trying to stay alive uh, financially. And, uh, and unfortunately, it skews the news. And, you know, one thing I deal with a lot as a city commissioner is we have fantastic local reporting. And I'll see this article come out the next day and the headline will be so misleading. But the article is fantastic. Mm-hmm. And I'll call, I'll, I'll call that, uh, that journalist on the phone and go, what happened? What is, I don't pick the headlines, Ryan. I write the articles, but I don't pick the headlines. I've seen right? that Someone so much. I'm like, the article does not match headline, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like, yep. it, it's crazy. Uh, well, Ryan, I uh, got just a couple last questions for you. You've been generous with your time and I know you, you got a business to run. Uh, but uh, last, speaking of that, uh, a lot of times people see a successful entrepreneur like yourself. Uh, and, you know, I, I say this all the time, you know, there, when I have someone on the Agents of Innovation podcast, it's mostly because I've recognized some level of success. I think you still got, you're still, you're still, uh, uh, you haven't peaked yet. You know, you're still going, you're still ascending. Um, but, but, uh, you know, this is when people meet you. This is when people hear you on a podcast. This is, you know, and when you're at a point of, of success and people might see a successful person or entrepreneur like yourself and think, well, you know, he, he probably had some family money. Uh, maybe his, maybe he's doing a family business, something that was a trade in the family before. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe, um, you know, some kind of business background there in the family. Also, maybe he's had a, an, an investor or a group of investors invest in him early. And that's what gave him the, the success, uh, the opportunity for success. Um, uh, were those uh, any part of your story or what was your story? So none of that. <laughs> and that's why I think shows like yours are, are, are so important is because this next generation, they need more of these type of stories. Um, the millennial generation has shown an interest in owning their own business more so than any generation before they are failing more so than any generation before. And, uh, and that's not just a matter of more interested in it, but you know, if you break if you really break down the numbers and I've interviewed some students and actually at your alma mater at FAU and oh, I wow. asked them, I asked them to name, to name entrepreneurs. Mark Zuckerberg and Elon Musk were the top two that continue to come up over and over and over again. So think about that. We're setting this bar that says, oh, you're going to go start your own business. Well, first thing you do is you get, you know, that, that seed funding, right? You get that before you even work, you know, in their mind, this is what they think, right? They mm-hmm. put together, they get an investor, boom, here's a million dollars in that seed funding. And that's only the beginning, right? And then so they have this pillar of Mark Zuckerberg billionaire right billionaire in airplanes and as many cars as they want and where well what if you were able to start a small business locally and yeah you might you might never have a garage full of cars but you always drive the car that you want and you'll live in a house and be able to support your family and your kids will go to college and during that entire time you were able to create that life by doing something you love and employing people in your community would that be enough now, if you need if you need to be on the cover of Forbes, go for it, right? And I and I hope you're successful. But there needs to be way more stories like that. For me, when I think of entrepreneur, I think of my aunt Sally and my uncle Dennis. They were married in high school. One of them was cleaning houses for a living. One of them was fixing houses, like a general handyman. They eventually identified. Now, this is 30 years ago. That wow, a lot of people are moving to Florida, into Boca Raton. 
yet they're not living in these houses all year long. Who's taking care of these houses? 30 years ago, they started their own business. They still have that business today. Now, you won't see Aunt Sally and Uncle Dennis on the cover of Forbes magazine, but they've made an incredible life for themselves, a very flexible life that allows them to not only support their, their children and their children's endeavors, but allows them to take care of themselves and to vacation and to live life. And they've done that with a really great little local startup. Now, it wasn't called a startup back then, right? It was called a mom and pop or whatever, or a local business. Yeah. But it was, but it was, it was a, it was a startup and they've employed people and creating a fantastic life for themselves. We need to tell more of those stories because those are the, those, that's what we should be aspiring to. At least most of us is to create a life that we, that we love and a job that we love and a company that we love. Well, I was going to ask you what advice you have for entrepreneurs, but that sounds like it. But if you have anything else to add here uh, for those who maybe are, maybe they're a young person. Uh, maybe they're in high school, maybe they're in college, uh, maybe they're just out of college and they're thinking, how do I, how do I start a business or what, what maybe things can I do if I'm a young person mm -hmm. that would help me to get to that point? Um, and then on the flip side, people like yourself, uh, maybe people like myself who were already in a career, maybe 10, 15 years in, whatever, uh, have some proven skill set. Um, but now want to go venture out on their own, but are, are willing to. Sure. So for all those sorts of types of people who want to be an entrepreneur, what, yeah, what last words can you, can you offer to them? Yeah. So, so for the ones that want to become one and maybe are still, you know, in schools, you know, surround yourself um, with, uh, with really great people, ask questions, have discussions, take people out for coffees, you know, you'd be surprised. You shoot me, you shoot me an email and you're a student at FAU and you want to have coffee and just pick my brain. I'll say yes. I'm an easy one, but I know CEOs that are at much larger companies than, than me that will say yes too. Um, so I think that's I think that's really important. Also, don't you know? Don't be afraid to to also venture into the world of of working for a great company. You don't need to own the company. It's really tough. It's really tough not only to build it, but then to own it and the responsibilities that come with that. There are days where I I sit in bed and I'm thinking, man, remember when that paycheck was just guaranteed every two weeks, right? And remember when you left work at 5.30 and that was it. You didn't have to, I didn't have to check my email. I didn't have to do anything. I was off. I was done until I came back the next day. Like sometimes I miss those days and that and there's nothing wrong with that. Finding a really great company to work for. Like I said, my, my mom has been working at JM Family Enterprise for 35 years. My dad has been a police officer in Boca Raton for 30. They both find a career that they absolutely love. So first explore that. Now, if you're in one of those careers and you've given that a shot <laughs> and, you, and, you, and you still have that drive to own your own business, what I would say is look for where opportunity in the market intersects with something that you're passionate about, right? If you're super passionate about something that there's not an opportunity, then it's probably not a right fit because you want to be successful, especially if you're about to make that large sacrifice that we, we discussed at the beginning of this conversation. But if there's an opportunity out there and it's something you're not passionate about, then what are you really trading? You're already kind of in something probably that is successful for you. It's just that you're not passionate about. Find where opportunity in the market intersects with your, your passion and, uh, and you'll be successful. Yeah, you know, right. You have to work your butt off. <laughs> it ain't gonna be easy. <laughs> yeah, those are, that's great advice. And I think what you're saying, where, where your passion meets an opportunity, perfect, right? 
Uh, sometimes that, that doesn't always happen. Uh, maybe, maybe you want to start something that you weren't passionate about, and uh, there's just you just see an opportunity to make money and, and to run a business, and maybe you, you become passionate about it um, and things like that. But obviously, you, you're at the end of the day, the livelihood is part of the job, right? I mean, you, you need to support yourself and your well, family. And maybe, and maybe it's not the industry that you get. Like I was passionate about marketing. I was passionate about design, and that's why I started this. But today, what I'm passionate about. I'm passionate about my organization, my culture, and hiring people, creating jobs that support families. That's what I became addicted to, is growing this team and having, being able to look at, um, you know, all these different families that are supported by a company that I think has a great culture and people like to come to work. That's what I ended up becoming passionate about. It didn't matter what we're selling, right, or what services we're providing. So you're right. You're right. That opportunity may not be your passion. Um, but owning the the company, creating the the culture and the jobs may become your passion. Yeah. You know, um, I went through a, a process last year as I was thinking about um, doing this. And the person who led my brand strategy, um, we first did an exercise called Ikigai. I-K-I-G-A-I. Are you familiar with this? Ikigai? I, I'm not. Google it. There's a lot of videos out there. Um, I think the person's video I first watched was with an organization called The Future, also missing a vowel at the end. I think it's F-U-T-U-R. Um, and so they had a cool... But you know, if you go on YouTube or whatever, and if you just Google this, I think people have written about it now. But what's cool is they've got sort of four quadrants. And if I'm remembering this correctly, um, one is sort of like what you're good at in one contract. And so what you should do in this process is you don't, you're not thinking about starting a business. You're not thinking about anything. You're just putting things on the board that you're good at, right? Uh, right. Something like what you like or something, I think is another, just things you like, your interests, something like that. Another quadrant is uh, what does the world need? What are things that you think the world needs? And then the last one is um, something about, um, it's something with, the, with making, um, I'm trying to remember what they call it, but it's something to do with you know how things that can make money or something like that, right? Right, right. So you just start putting things in these quadrants, and then you then divide, then you then you start connecting the connections between two two quadrants. Now you got like eight things, and it's it's a, it's a process. And in fact, you can go through the process in a couple different branding sessions, in a sense. Um, but it's really to kind of bring together and to help you crystallize these four quadrants, like what you're good at, what you like. Mm-hmm. Uh, what you can make money at and what the world needs. And, and when you bring those together, it's a really, it kind of crystallizes things for you and thinks, okay, well, here's where some opportunities are that maybe things I'm passionate about, I'm good at. Um, Cause you might be passionate about something and not be good at it. Right. Um, (laughs) Well, and that's an important um, practice to go through when adding to your team, when growing your team and being really honest about the things that you should handle and that you're good at and the things that you might want to bring someone in to handle and to be good at. Well, Ryan, you're good at a lot of things over there at Two Ton, and it sounds like uh, the city of Delray Beach is uh, is doing great and thriving and under leadership of people like you. I, I think uh, my parents recently lived in Delray Beach. They're in Boynton Beach now, um, but I know they they always enjoyed uh, being in Delray Beach, and um, it's a it's a great place. And it's it's a place that when you and I were younger, it was it was uh, literally. I mean, what <laughs> we thought of as a place for old people. And, and then I don't know when it was the turn about 10 or 15 years ago that I went down Atlantic Avenue and went, wow, look at all these restaurants. There's young people out. There's, there's, there's nice bars and things like that. And the, obviously the beautiful beach right down the street. So um, anyway, great 
job that you you all are doing managing uh, the city of Delray Beach, but also uh, you know thank you for for all you've done in the in the world of entrepreneurship and with your creative agency uh, and sharing your story with us, and hopefully we can continue to bring your story to more people. Well, thank you so much for having me on, and please, please keep telling these stories because uh, they're doing a lot of good, and people need to hear them. Thank you. Well, Ryan Boylston, and again, you can go to twoton.com uh, to find his uh, company. Uh, if you're looking for a great creative agency and company, um, and obviously, um, if you are in Delray Beach um, and you want to uh, talk to one of your city commissioners, he's a good guy to get to know. <laughs> so thanks, Ryan, for being on, and uh, thanks for being an agent of innovation. Well, it's 86 in Albany. Friday night about 6.15 Mom and Dad's anniversary And my Reese is at the door 55 and 5 foot nothing Sweet as pie but Bible thumping Every time we were watching something She'd come and cut it off And she'd say what's in the well Comes up in the bucket You can waste time but it don't stop running Season change but it won't change nothing What's in the well comes up in the bucket yeah. Well it's 96 in old NC Friends are passing around the magazine Stuff my dad wouldn't let me see So I up and took off Went to school for a couple days Everybody asked why I ran away I couldn't think of something cool to say So I reached for the same old song I said, what's in the well comes up in the bucket You can waste time but it don't stop running Seasons change but it won't change nothing What's in the well comes up in the bucket yeah. We haven't talked since I was seven but I talked about her my whole life I guess a good enough lesson keeps itself alive mm. What's in the well comes up in a bucket You can waste time but it don't stop running Seasons change but it won't change Then what's in the well